This morning, if you want to take your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 24. We're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 24 verses 1 through 15 as we consider what the Lord would say to us today through this passage as we continue our study in uh, the doctrine of worship and look at what God would have us to understand about worship today. Uh, As you're turning there, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we confess that we are needy. Lord, we confess that without your word, we do not have direction for this life. We confess that without your word, nothing that we know would even be because it is by the power of your word that you spoke all things into creation. And it is by your word, the, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, that we have redemption. It is by your word that you have brought about a new creation through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we know that we would not exist had it not been for your word. And that we know that we would not be saved had it not been for your word. So, Father, we come asking that your word would speak to us today, that you would reprove us and correct us. We come standing ready to be formed into the image of your son, standing ready to be shaped into a receptive vessel for the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts to reprove us and correct us, that you would work in our lives to cause us to desire you and to desire your ways. Father, I pray that you would use me, your servant, for that purpose, that you would give me the words to say that I might Uh, encourage and build up and that you would take away those words that would distract or lead astray and that all things would be done for your glory and honor. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So last week I introduced a new series that I want to do over the next seven months and it's a series that I'm calling Delighting in the Triune God. We're going to spend these next seven months looking at the doctrine of worship and how we worship in church, how we worship in the world, what it all looks like from a high level view, from a low level view, all of those things. But it seems as we look at this, the the first question that we have to ask and the best place for us to start as we study the idea of worship is who is it that we worship? Now, that's going to take some work, so we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at who God is, or as the theologians call it, the doctrine of God, or theology proper. We're going to look at who God is, and particularly, we're going to look at the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And through that, I hope we come to get a full picture of who it is that we worship. But before we get into the particulars of who it is that we worship, we have to ask another question, and that is, who is the true God? We need to ask that question because there are so many gods that people worship. I think I've told you a couple of times now that I've had the opportunity to go on a, few mission, a couple of mission trips to India. And when I went to India, I've, I've seen all sorts of other gods. There were little gods in each of the little dabas, which is like a quick service restaurant that you go to in India. Uh, little gods on the, on the um, front of the building as you go into these little dabas to get something to eat. 
There were gods in every store that you went into. Uh, there was also massive statues of gods. We went to see um, one god, I can't remember, remember her name, but she's one of those with many arms. And it was a giant three-story tall statue that we saw when I was on my trip to India. And not only that, but I got to hear stories of how these gods influenced the lives of people in India. I got to hear one testimony from a, a new believer. He was actually an older man, but he had just come to faith in Christ about three months before we uh, visited with him. And he told about how he had served the god Hanuman his whole life. Now, Hanuman, if you've seen any in Indian uh, paintings or drawings, Hanuman is the god that has the monkey head and, and many arms. And he is the god of power. And most men in one way or another in India, have some little statue or, or emblem to Hanuman because they want the Hanuman to have, give them power in their lives. And so this, young, or this new believer had uh, served Hanuman his whole life. And one night he fell asleep and he had a dream and Hanuman came to him and started fussing at him about how he wasn't serving him properly. And the, the man started fussing back at Hanuman and he said, you know, Hanuman, I've served you my whole life and you hadn't done a thing for me. I've served you so that I might have power. And here I am with all of these ailments, all of these problems in my life, and you haven't done a thing for me. Well, Hanuman got red faced mad at the, uh, at the man and he said, get ready because tomorrow I'm going to kill you. And he began to menace the man and, and threaten the man uh, over and over again. And all the man could do in his dreams was just fall down on his knees and cry. And the only thing he knew to say in response to this pagan God was, Lord Jesus, save me. And so he said just out loud, not to the God, but to the sky, Lord Jesus, save me. And he kept repeating that until Hanuman got scared and turned and tucked tail, because he's a monkey, and ran. And when he woke up, he immediately went to his niece, who was a believer, and he asked to be baptized. Now, when you hear that story, I imagine that is a strange story for any American to hear. I have to admit, when I first heard it, it sounded strange to me, because we don't live in a society where our gods are so imminent. We don't walk into... Uh, many stores where there are statues to the gods and think anything of it other than, oh, that would look good in my garden. You know, we don't think anything of a statue, even if it's to some pagan god or another. And we don't ever see really, especially in Greenville, Alabama, anybody kneeling down and praying to some other god. And nor do we hear stories of these oppressive nightmares like this believer had in India. And I think we've come to believe as a result of that, and I think this is a general American attitude, is that we have complete control over who or how or when we worship. I mean, Americans tend to believe that we have our destiny in our own hands and we make our own way in this life and we choose who we want to worship, how we want to worship, when we want to worship, if we want to worship anybody or anything at all. But the truth is, everyone is a worshiper. Everyone worships something. 
The truth is, you cannot help but worship something. The truth is, you were made to worship. The question is not whether you will worship or not. The question is who it is that you worship. You will worship. The question is, who is it that you worship? So to see that, I want to look at Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 15 today. So if you would follow along with me as I read aloud, Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 15. God's word says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, and and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you, land, gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Now today I want you to notice two points from this passage. First, I want you to notice the gods of corrupt worship. And secondly, I want you to notice the God of covenant worship. So first, let's consider the gods of corrupt worship. And in this passage, we're picking up in a long, at the end of a long story of how the Israelites, through the power of God, fought their way through the promised land of Canaan, and they finally come to rest and victory. Now, this has been a story that's been some 50 or 60 years in the making as God led the people out of Egypt and into the promised land, and God conquered all of these people's for Israel through his great work and through his leader, Joshua. So Joshua gives one final charge to the people, and he does so in the form of a history lesson. He starts by reminding them of God's special favor that he has shown to their forefather, Abraham. You remember way back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham, and he particularly notes that Abraham was a pagan, living in the land of Ur when God called him to a land that he would give him. And then he kind of fast forwards in verses four through five, and he goes on to remind them of their captivity in Egypt and how God brought them out with his mighty hand from the Pharaoh of Egypt. He reminds them of how through Moses and Aaron, he brought about 10 plagues to challenge the gods of Egypt and Pharaoh who was supposed to be the incarnation of the sun god, Ra. And finally, Joshua reminds them of all of the Canaanite nations that they defeated on their way into and through the promised land. All of these nations worshipped other gods. And as they fought them, God gave Israel a particular command. He said, number one, you're not to marry any women of the land. You're not to adopt the practices of the land, and you're certainly not to pick up the idols of the land. So why is it that Joshua is rehearsing this history lesson that I'm sure every one of these Israelites have memorized by heart? It's something that they have lived themselves. I think Joshua wants to remind the people that there's a great contrast between the gods of the land and the God who saved them and gave them victory. Joshua knows that the people will settle this land, and when they settle this land, they, ha- they will face an immediate temptation to adopt the gods of the land. To be honest, this seems like a strange warning, because I, I, I know I've wondered this, I know you probably have wondered this, how is it that the Israelites could have failed so miserably when they saw the great power of God. They saw God in a cloud of smoke and a cloud of fire. They saw God separate a sea. They saw God send ten plagues. They saw God separate the waters of the Jordan. How is it that they, of all people, could lose faith in God? How is it that they could forget His works and turn and serve other gods? But the Israelites, like the rest of humankind with them, were ultimately sinful people. In fact, notice verse 14. Notice it says, Joshua tells the people to put away the false gods that they picked up on the way. 
Even in this blessed moment, even though they had seen God work all these things, even though they knew God's commands, they had received God's laws, guess what they had done? The whole time they were marching through the wilderness, the whole time they were marching through uh, Canaan, the whole time they had seen God's blessings, guess what they were doing the whole time? They had little gods in their pocket. All along the way, they were worshiping the one true God while secretly serving other gods. And we too run after other gods. Now you might recall at that idea and say, Preacher, I'm not like your Indian brother that you were talking about that worshipped Hanuman, and I'm not like the Israelites who made carved pieces of rock and worshipped them. But remember, if you are made to worship, you cannot help but worship something. So if you aren't worshiping the one true God, you are worshiping something or something else, uh, something or someone else. In Scripture, we find four different ways that we carry out corrupt worship. And I want to briefly look at those four ways of corrupt worship as we consider this today. First, we find the corrupt worship of lesser beings. The corrupt worship of lesser, particularly lesser spiritual, spiritual beings. Now we've been taught in the Western church, in the, in the American church, that the false gods that you find in the Bible, these are all really just made up gods. They're really not real. They just were made up by the people of the land and they made idols and they made up these names and they worshiped them. But actually, the very first act of false worship that you find in the Bible all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 is an act of worship towards a spiritual being other than God. Adam and Eve chose to listen to Satan and accept his wisdom rather than trust in the wisdom of God. This was an act of worship that was a worship directed not towards God, but towards Satan himself. In the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, that when pagans worship idols, they're not just worshiping those made items, they're worshiping demons behind the idols. So people can worship real spiritual beings other than God, and they can substitute their worship for these spiritual beings for the real true God. The second type of corrupt worship is the worship that is directed towards our desires. We find this just one chapter over in the story of Cain and Abel. As you're working through the book of Genesis, you find the worship of spiritual beings. And then in chapter four, right after that, you find the worship of your own desires. As Cain was willing to kill his brother Abel for the sake of his own jealousy and pride. And remember God's warning to him. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to make you his slave. Its desire is to rule over you, but you must rule over it. God warned Cain not to become a slave to his desire, but he chose to worship that desire rather than to wait on the Lord and repent and be obedient. Philippians chapter 3 verse 19 says that for those who are 
in the world, those who are not followers of Christ, their God is their belly. Everyone in some way serves the God of their belly if they are not children of God. The third type of corrupt worship is worship that directs that is directed towards ourselves. In Genesis chapter 11, the you remember the story of the people of Babel, how they erected a tower. They started to erect a tower to themselves. And it says one of the main reasons that they give, in fact, the primary reason that they give for building this tower is that we might make a name for ourselves. Their goal was literally to dethrone God and to elevate themselves to the place of deity. The fourth type of corrupt worship is worship that is directed towards a false idea of the one true God. In Exodus chapter 32, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, the Israelites are down in the valley making a golden calf. We read that Aaron tells the people to gather all the gold in the camp and to bring it together and that they will form a God that they can worship. Now, when we read this, we, I think, as, again, as Westerners, we tend to read this and think, well, they're, they're just making a new God. They're making a God that they can worship that's separate from the true God. But actually, if you read Exodus chapter 32 in verse 4, Aaron, after they've made this false idol, Aaron calls out and he says, Behold the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he also says, Tomorrow will be a feast not to Hanuman and not to Baal and not to anybody else. He says, Tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. What Aaron does is he makes, brings about a false idol directed to the true God. You can have a wrong idea of the true God and be bringing about corrupt worship. So now that we've seen the gods of corrupt worship, let's consider the God of covenant worship. What is it that sets the Lord apart from these false gods? Now, there's a theme that runs throughout the retelling of this history lesson that Joshua that you'll pick up in Joshua's story. And it is that God is a faithful covenanting God. God has been faithful to his covenant that he started way back with Abraham. God called Abraham. He chose Abraham and called him out of a pagan lifestyle. God rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. God gave them countless victories against the people of Canaan. In fact, it says he even went before them. I thought this was interesting. I don't know what your translation said, but mine said he went before them as a hornet. Now, that's that's a pretty good description of the way that he drove the people of, of Canaan out of the land. There were battles that Israel didn't even have to fight because God had already gone before them to drive out the people from the land. God did all of this by his good grace that he lavished on the people of Israel. And he was gracious to them even as they served other gods along the way. 
What God says about Himself in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, that He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He would prove time and time again to these faithless people. You see, friend, don't fool yourself. If you're not worshiping the one true God, you're worshiping something. And that worship is corrupt and sinful. You may worship some lesser being, whether it be your obsession with angels or whether it be your dependence on your horoscope or whether it be your belief in karma or fate. You may worship your desires, whether it be your desire for power or fame or sex or the pleasure of some substance. You may worship yourself, thinking that your status and position in this life will earn you some sort of immortality. Or you may pay lip service to the one true God, all while preferring a version of God that you can stomach. Whatever it is that you worship, these gods are ultimately a terrible substitute for the gracious, steadfast, true God. This steadfast and gracious God has proven His covenantal love ultimately and finally through His Son. All those gods that you would serve, all the gods that the Israelites serve, they demanded everything and gave nothing. They demanded full obedience. They even demanded the sacrifice of their children literally into the fires of Uh, judgment and the fires of sacrifice. And yet, what we find in the true God is a God that demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. He gave His Son as a sacrifice for us that we might be made children of God. This is the God who calls you to repent. This is the God who calls you to rightly worship. This is the God who calls you to turn in faith to Christ. Won't you do that today? Brothers and sisters, like the Israelites to whom Joshua gave his charge, we can find ourselves picking up the idols of the land around us. Though we are recipients of God's good grace in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves running to other gods because they give us immediate immediate oh can't say that word for some reason immediate satisfaction. They give us uh, an answer to our daily lives. We think they give us a solution that answers some problem we're dealing with right now, rather than waiting for the Lord's timing and the Lord's good grace. Because we're worried about the soul of our nation, we might find ourselves running to the God of political party, rather uh, uh, political power, rather than trusting in the God that saw Daniel and his friends through the trials of an evil nation. Because of our great abundance and the fruitfulness of our culture, we may find ourselves giving in to the God of leisure, choosing to lay around and watch Netflix and scroll through Facebook rather than committing ourselves to the worship of the one true God. Because of the emphasis we put on success in our society, we may find ourselves giving up our own responsibilities to worship and faithfully serve our Lord for the sakes of the gods called dollar 
and career. Brothers and sisters, may we cast aside these and other false gods. And may we instead choose this day to serve the Lord. May we say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we confess that we are a sinful people. Lord, that we, yes, have trusted in you and we have rested in your forgiveness for our salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. But like these Israelites, though we see your great goodness and grace, though we see your patience and your long suffering, though we see your love displayed on the cross and your power displayed in the resurrection, yet we, like the Israelites, are secretly carrying false gods in our pocket. Father, may we give up those false gods. May we repent of corrupt worship and instead turn and worship the one true God. Lord, you are the only God who is supreme above all else. Lord, anything else that we worship is just a terrible imitation of who you are. Father, may we not serve the gods of power or the gods of uh, desire or the gods of this world, but may we serve the one true God. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.